1: I'm the ghostly anchorman, Boo Curtis. <laughs> and here's your host at the Studebaker Theater in downtown Chicago, Illinois, Peter Sagal.
2: Thank you, Bill. Thank you, everybody. You guys are great. So it is not quite Halloween, but we are taking off early so we can prepare. It turns out those fake cobwebs we like to use are really bad for the environment but we discovered how to bribe real spiders to cover our entire house instead.
1: You do it the same way we bribe everyone in Chicago. Unmarked packages of
2: dead flies. So, <laughs> while we're collecting all those, we thought we'd entertain you with some great material from our recent shows.
1: Earlier this year, we went down to New Orleans and talked with longtime resident actor John Goodman. Here's an extended
2: version of our chat. John Goodman, welcome to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. It's such an honor to have you. We're all a little intimidated because if, like, if any of us were to name our top five favorite movies, you'd just be in three of them. That's, that's how it is. Um, you were out in L.A., you were doing extraordinarily well as an actor, and you were like, I can't raise my family here. I well, I,
0: I found out a long time ago I could pretty much live wherever I wanted. Yeah. And, uh if... We moved here. I married a Louisiana girl from Bogalusa, yeah. and I, I reckon she could be near her parents when I was on the road all the time. Yeah, yeah.
2: And did it work out the way you wanted? Was it Was New Orleans just what you were hoping for? When better,
0: you better than I'd, I'd been coming down here for years. Uh, I just love it here, and uh, yeah, it <laughs> could, couldn't be better.
3: Yeah.
2: Have 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 they accepted you after uh, eventually cuz I'm told people from New Orleans are a little suspicious of people from away.
4: Who cares? <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, everybody's very pleasant. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I we 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 read that you were living in a haunted house here. I
0: I yeah, it was just in <laughs> just inside the parish line and uh we we've heard we heard too many things and uh People suffered in there. Really? Yeah. It, 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 it was really spooky, and it, uh, it felt affected by it, yeah.
2: Well, what sort of things would this
0: Oh, there were you? huge knocks on the, on the wall. My daughter was a student at Newman, and she was in the band, so she would play a little xylophone thing. And my mother-in-law and her husband were sitting on the porch one day, and they heard a, her little xylophone piece go off. No. She was in school. Wow. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yeah, and... Uh, we were awakened in the middle of the night several times by just—it sounded like somebody was sledgehammering above our
2: bed. Right. Uh, so the, we know, one thing, thing we know about right. the ghost was it was a percussionist.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and he hung out with a lot of bands. Yeah, I know. Here,
2: here in New Orleans, even the dead want to get into music. It's just that's the kind of culture that you have here. Do, are people in New Orleans cool when they see you on the street? Like, oh yeah? They don't fun. care. Yeah. They right. really don't. great. Up <laughs> here,
0: yeah. Everybody's nice and. Uh, yeah, they don't care. It's just, uh, how are you doing?
2: Yeah. where yeah. At? That's good. You've adopted that. That's good. Yeah. Um, usually, we, we always ask people like yourselves uh, what role you're most known for. And usually, when we ask that, we can guess. In your case, I absolutely can't. Because you've done so many different things over the years, some some of them like incredibly iconic, like you were the dad in the most successful sitcom of the '90s, Roseanne. You were in like those Coen Brothers movies, The Big Lebowski. You were like, you know, I, I, and I couldn't guess. You were like Sully in like some beloved children's movie, Monsters Inc. So, is there an answer? Is there something that most people like go for? Immediately. Uh, you, it's
0: usually uh, big. T- if they're tourists, it's Big Lebowski. If they're younger, they grew up
2: on Roseanne. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's between those two. Did you know that movie in particular was going to become what it has become, which is this enormous cult? Absolutely culture.
0: not. And uh, I had so much fun doing it; I really didn't care.
2: Really? I didn't care if they
0: released it. No, we <laughs> we, we had a ball making it, and the, and the script was just so
2: damn good. Right. Uh, I, I never, never gave it a thought. I heard somebody that the, one of the Cohen brothers said about you, and they were trying to describe your appeal and why they love using you in their movies. They said, he's like this normal guy, but he's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was like, <laughs> because it's genuinely weird. In certain of your roles, certainly on, uh, in Roseanne and then and then the Connors, and s- uh, as in the Monsters, Inc. movie, you can be absolutely adorable and cuddly, and you have also played roles in which you are none of those things and are kind of scary. If you're cuddly and adorable, there's got to be a reason why,
0: and it's usually filthy. <laughs>
2: really? Um. <laughs> so you're telling like like Sully from Monsters, Inc. has a terrible backstory. You, you don't want to like, know. Yeah, he stopped killing. <laughs> He decided just last month to stop killing people and he's really trying to make up for it. In 3D. Yeah. I <laughs> you, y- your, your latest thing uh, is a TV show on uh, Max. 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 <laughs> Max. Called uh, The Righteous Gemstones. Yeah. It must have been great when you got that offer. It's like, oh, wow, I've always wanted to do a prestige drama on Max. <laughs> <laughs> And The Righteous Gemstones is another show from Danny McBride, who, who made uh, Eastbound and Down and Vice Principals. And in this show, it's about a family of megachurch uh, preachers, evangelists, and you play the patriarch of this very wealthy, very influential family. Yeah, the, the head preacher. Do, what was the appeal of this particular show? I uh, The way, uh,
0: the, 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 when I read it, I just wanted to do it immediately. And plus, I, I got to do a little preaching. Sure. I always thought the acting thing didn't work out. I... I Get myself a tent and really? <laughs> hit the circus. Uh, you know, tell fortunes,
2: preach <laughs> a little bit, guess weight. Yeah, you can do that. <laughs> a little car black. Um, we also found you're from St. Louis originally. Yes. And we heard that when you fly into the St. Louis airport, you are greeted like the baggage lane, by the voice of John Goodman. Is that the case?
0: I haven't flown into St. Louis for so long, I don't know. Really?
4: Do
2: you remember? <laughs> it, so, it sounds great to me. Yeah. Well, you know, Bill here is the voice of, of Chicago, at the Chicago airport. Mm. So we have, like, the voice of two American cities on stage. Yeah. And I did a voice at New York.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm walking along
1: here. <laughs>
0: it's,
2: it's our friend Ratto. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. <neat. laughs> well, John Goodman, uh, it is absolutely a thrill to talk to you in real life. Uh, I have to say, but we have invited you here to play a game we're calling. You're a good man. But who's a good boy? <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking good man. Well, who's a good little? Who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? Dogs. We're going to ask you. Three questions about man's best friend. Answer two yep, yeah, there you go. Answer two of them correctly, you'll win our prize for one of our listeners. Bill, who is John Goodman playing for?
1: Eric McDonnell of New Orleans, Louisiana.
2: How can I screw this up? Could be a neighbor. Could be coming over if you mess this up. All right, you ready to do this? Yes, sir. All right. Uh, One of the Russian space dogs, one with the name of Brave, was a very good boy. He distinguished himself, uh, before his launch into space back in the 60s, how, A, he tore up a Neil Armstrong chew toy on Russian state TV, (laughs) B, he humped the rocket, a tradition all cosmonauts now do before launches for good luck, (laughs) Or C, brave, true to his name, ran away the day before his launch. I'm going to opt
0: for C. That's what he did. As much as we all love humping rockets, I'm I know. Going to go for C. Yeah,
2: he got the hell out of there. Uh, he was not the only Russian space dog to run away uh, the day before the launch. So did a dog named Bobik. Who was replaced? And I'm serious. With a dog they named Substitute for Bobic. <laughs> 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 All right, that's very good. You have dogs, right? Yeah, two. Yeah. They're waiting for me at home. Are they really? Yeah. What are they up to when you're away? Oh, uh,
0: one got my corn dog last night, and you know how painful
6: oh. that can be. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. uh. so sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right, second question. Many a great author has had a good boy, a doggy as a companion, such as which of these? A, Shakespeare's dog Marlowe once dug up and brought home a human skull, inspiring a very big scene in Hamlet. B, John Steinbeck's dog Toby ate the first draft of, of Mice and Men, forcing him to rewrite it. Or C, David Foster Wallace's dog Mr. Pickles, who also, <laughs> who also only pretended to have read Infinite Jest. <laughs> <laughs> As a pretender myself, I'm going to go with B. You're going to go with B, no. that John Steinbeck's dog ate the manuscript. That's right. Steinbeck oh. wrote in his journal in 1937, minor tragedy, my pup left alone one night made confetti of about half of my manuscript book. Oh. Did it have a corn dog on it? It might have. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lesson. Don't leave your corn dog on your manuscripts. Okay. Now, if you really want to see the best good boys in the world, you have to go to the Westminster Dog Show. What's one thing trainers do there to make sure their dogs give their best performance at the dog show? A, they give them doggy Ozempic. (laughs) B, the night before the show, trainers sleep in the crate, dogs sleep in the bed. (laughs) Or C, during the competition, to make sure the dogs maintain constant eye contact with the trainer, the trainers keep a dog treat in their own mouth. (laughs) Yes! Spoken. (laughs) Like a dog owner. And trainers, if you're listening out there, next time, try a corn dog. They they, they, they put the the treat in their... They put the treat in their own mouth, and they kind of hold it there, and the dog's like, it's what keeps the dog focused on them.
5: Oh, I hope they scrape their tongue afterwards. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, like,
2: (laughs) Well, how did John Goodman do in our quiz? He
1: is in rare company. John, you got him all right. You're a winner.
4: <laughs>
2: wow. Do you, you think this will finally make make the people in New Orleans treat you special? I hope so. Yeah, I know. John Goodman is a show business legend who you can see in the new season of HBO's Righteous Gemstones. John Goodman, everybody.
0: Gotta find me a girl like a love and trust. She can take me home, and if you haven't sus, she takes me off. She gotta take my dog. So wherever I go,
7: so goes my dog.
2: In a minute, our panelists lie about the world's worst girls' weekend and a never-before-heard love the listener game. That's when we come back with more. Wait, wait, don't tell me. From NPR. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message comes from Easy Cater, committed to helping companies from nonprofits to the Fortune 500 find food for meetings and company events with online ordering and 24-7 live support. Learn more at EasyCater.com.
6: This message comes from NPR sponsor ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people across your business, providing intelligent tools to help remove frustration and supercharge productivity. And all of that is built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Learn more at servicenow.com slash AI for people.
1: This is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis, and here is your host at the Studebaker Theater in the Fine Arts Building in downtown Chicago, Illinois, Peter Sagal.
2: Thank you, Bill. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. Um, so earlier this fall, we went to Ann Arbor, Michigan with panelists Eugene Cordero, Faith Saley, and Bobcat Goldthwaite. and while we were there... We did what we always do. We lied to one of our listeners. <laughs> right now, of course, it's time for the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Bluff, the listener game, call one wait Wait to play our game in the air. Hi, you are on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hi, how are you? I'm fine.
3: Who's this? My name is Leanne.
2: Hey, Leanne, where are you calling from?
3: I'm calling from Rockledge, Florida.
2: Rockledge, Florida. Absolutely beautiful place. What do you do there?
3: I work at an elementary school library.
2: You do? Oh. I- in Florida. Wow.
3: Is it? How is how is that one book doing yeah. in your library?
2: <laughs> no, 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 no. We we don't make fun. We don't make fun of school librarians in Florida. Right. You are a on saint. the front lines, and we are behind you. Uh, Leanne, it's nice to have you with us. You're going to play our game in which you must try to tell truth from fiction. Bill, what is Leanne's topic? Worst girls' weekend ever. It's, it's hard to ruin a trip with your best girls, especially when your GF's got all that riz. <laughs> <laughs> but this week we read a story about a girl's trip that went bad. And our panelists are each going to tell you about it. Pick the one who's telling you the truth, and you'll win the wait-waiter of your choice in your voicemail. you ready to play? Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> you had to think about it?
8: I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm not good all right, at it. All now. right, all right. Yeah. Are,
2: <laughs> as I fun. indicated earlier, you are a hero to us. We're here for you. I, I am on your side. We, we will help you out. All right, well here we go. Let's hear our first story. It is from Eugene Cordero.
9: Sometimes you know just what your friends need to relax. Other times, not so much. Julie McSorley thought she knew exactly what her good friend Liz Cottrell needed to escape the daily grind and stresses in life. A morning kayaking and whale watching in California's beautiful St. Louis Obispo Bay. After witnessing great humpback whale activity the day before, Julie was eager to share a similar experience with her friend Liz. Liz was not as excited about the excursion, but McSorley promised that the kayaks are so stable, they'll never dump over and you'll be safe. As the two women rode out, they saw plenty of whales in the distance. And the longer they stayed, the closer the whales came. They were loving it until the mouth of a humpback whale surrounded the women and their kayak and dragged them under the water. Luckily for Julie and Liz, they were spit out. (laughs) When the ladies returned to safety, all that was lost were their breath and their keys. To be fair to Julie, whose idea it was, when she assured Liz of all the bad things that wouldn't happen, being swallowed whole by a whale was not one of them.
2: Two ladies have a wonderful trip to see whales and they get to see the inside of a whale's throat. Your next story of a trip, tripping, comes from Faith Saley.
3: When Jackie Reinbold, Jennifer Litterst, and Liz Roder, BFFs for 30 years, chose Northern Virginia for their girls' camping trip, they assumed they'd be woken by birdsong. Instead, it was a cacophony of muskets firing, horses whinnying, and men hollering, Yankees! Emerging from the tent, the women were besieged by gray uniformed soldiers demanding their surrender. Jackie, the last to emerge, waddled out because she is eight months pregnant. She reports, I calmly inform those freaks that we are not Union soldiers. (laughs) Once the local 21st Century police showed up, the women learned their campsite was a little-known Civil War battle site called the Siege of Little Big Shrubs. The shrubs aren't even there anymore, sighs Liz, and next year we're going to a tarot card reading workshop in Sheboygan.
2: A camping trip gets
5: interrupted by some...
2: Civil War reenactors, your last weekend wreck comes from Bobcat Goldthwaite.
5: Mrs. Kathy Kenny, 74 of Oneonta, New York, is suing Alpha Hunks, a male stripper company, for damages caused by their client, Gary Kozlowski, aka the Bone Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> at her daughter Nora's lap party. Gary's arrival was met with whoops and cheers, but soon while giving Nora her first lap dance to Nelly's hit song, It's Getting Hot in Here, the bone ranger began to cry. Nora asked if he was alright and Gary said he was just going through some stuff. <laughs> Keselowski began the song over, only to stop again, this time sobbing uncontrollably. When Nora asked Gary what was wrong, he explained that he was getting divorced and that it's getting hot in here was his (laughs) wedding song. (laughs) After hours of Gary discussing the many pitfalls in marriage, Nora called off her wedding. (laughs) Mrs. Kenny is suing alpha males for the cost of the wedding and duress. Of course I'm mad, wouldn't you be? exclaimed Mrs. Kenny. The real shame was that when he wasn't crying, Gary had some real sick moves. It's just too bad he's got such a big mouth. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Leanne, here are your choices.
2: From Eugene Cordero, a story about how two women went for a kayaking trip, one of them was not that excited about and ended up getting swallowed by a whale. From Faith Saley, a camping trip gets interrupted because it turns out it was a Civil War battlefield with the battle being reenacted. Or from Bobcat Goldthwaite, how a depressed male stripper <laughs> ended up ruining not just the Bachelorette party, but the whole wedding.
3: They're just applauding for the Bone Ranger, not, not for the veracity, Leanne. All right. Well, you know, uh, as much as I think that they should applaud
8: for the Bone Ranger, because that's really a great name, I will have to go with Eugene on this.
2: So you're going to go with Eugene. The audience approves the story of the two women who were swallowed by the whale. Well, to bring you the correct answer, we spoke to someone familiar with the real story.
10: They thought they were going to see the whale, like it was going to be really close, and it was actually so close they
2: ended up in the whale's mouth. That was Heather Schwedell, a staff writer from Slate, who spoke with the woman who was, in fact, briefly swallowed by the whale. Congratulations, Leanne, you got it right. You were the point for Eugene for being truthful, and you've won our prize, the voice of your choice on your voicemail. Thank you so much for playing, Leanne. And here's one of our favorite recent conversations with actor Sam Waterston and guest host Karen Chee.
8: Sam Waterston, welcome to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Oh, thank you so much for having
7: me. I love this show.
8: Oh my gosh, that's so nice of you. You must be so bummed that I'm not Peter. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) Um, Sam, I have some questions about Law & Order. You've been on Law & Order, as I mentioned, for 16 years. In those 16 years, you could have gotten several actual law degrees in that time. Do you think you could pass the bar if you took it now?
7: Oh, most certainly not. And, and, and um, absolutely nobody should ever come to me for law advice. That's. Uh...
8: Do you have people coming up to the street when they recognize you? Do they ask you for legal advice?
7: No, but I've had more than a handful of people come up to me and say that They became lawyers because of me.
8: Whoa! (laughs) That's so nice. nice. Is there any part of you that's disappointed that they didn't become an actor because of you?
7: No, but I, but I do apologize to them for getting them into the law.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
8: That's so great. Do you feel like you know um, enough about the law that you could defend yourself if you ended up in court?
7: Anybody, defend, you know, there's an old saying in the law. Any, anybody who is defending themselves in a court of law is, has a fool for a client. And, and I, that would definitely be my, my case. I couldn't do it. Not, not, not a chance.
8: Okay, well, that's a bummer, because I really wanted to ask what crimes you thought you could get away with.
7: <laughs> well, that's, that's an entirely different question.
8: <laughs> you have a list ready to go. <laughs> um, do you feel like, because you have shot in, you know, you've shot on location in so many places in New York, does the whole city feel like a set to you at this point?
7: Yeah, what, what, what it feels like to do Law & Order was like you were the city's mascot. People, people would shout at me across the street. Hey,
8: Laura Norder!
7: <laughs>
0: do
8: you think they're telling you to just behave better? <laughs> um, you've, I know we've been talking a lot about Jack McCoy, but you've played a lot of really iconic roles. You've played Abraham Lincoln multiple times. Um, mm-hmm. Do you keep pursuing that role because you know you look really good in a stovepipe hat?
7: I always said that there ought to be some compensation for an actor who's (laughs) (laughs) plain-looking.
8: Sam, I gotta be honest, when we wrote that question, I worried it was gonna sound like I was hitting on you. (laughs) And I want you to know I am, (laughs) okay. (laughs) I do have more questions, though. What is a role you've always wanted to play, but never had a chance to?
7: Uh, Iago.
8: Wait, the parrot in, in
9: <laughs> Aladdin?
1: We all go.
8: That's it. Yeah. Great. No follow-up questions. <laughs> um, you also did Shakespeare's Beauty which, for a very long time. When you memorize a big Shakespeare part, I know so much of it is like lots of monologues and stuff. How long do you retain that memorized text? And can you summon up a monologue now?
7: Oh, what a rogue and peasant slave am I. Is it not monstrous that this player here, but in a fiction and a dream of passion, should move his soul so to his conceit that from his visage all his, well, that's it, I can't go on any further.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh-huh. Good memory
10: okay. yeah. I saw you, I saw you, this is Helen Hong, I saw you once at Shakespeare in the park, in Central Park. And I enjoyed you so much and got so many mosquito bites. <laughs> you were worth getting eaten alive by mosquitoes. <laughs> Thank you.
8: Um, so as Helen mentioned, you do Shakespeare in the Park in New York. What is the craziest thing that happened during a live performance?
7: Well, most of the crazy things are, can be attributed to the raccoons. <laughs> <laughs> were they
8: playing a part in the play? <laughs>
7: The entire audience lost interest in the play because a family of raccoons lifted the bottom edge of the curtain. What? And looked out at the audience, and the little one ran out and threatened to to join the audience, and they got...
1: Ah, that's theater right there, baby.
7: (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. There was was no other show going on that night. That
10: was it. You got Shakespeare... Blocked by a family of raccoons? Yeah. (laughs) Sam, you have the cutest laugh. What?
8: That was so sweet.
7: You guys are so funny. Aw, shucks.
8: He's hitting on me, too. (laughs) Sam, I feel like we could talk to you forever, but we've actually asked you here to play a game that we are calling...
1: Dum Dum... (laughs)
8: that was Bill's beautiful rendition of the Law & Order theme Um, and the only thing more synonymous with Law & Order than you is that famous two-note da-dum theme so we thought we'd ask you about Dum Dum Pops the famous lollipops that you get for free when your mom brings you to the bank (laughs) Bill, who is Sam Waterston playing for?
1: Sarah Carpenter of Portland, Oregon
8: Sam, no pressure, but her fate rests in your hands. Uh, Here's your first question. Mixed in with classic flavors like cherry, cotton candy, and cream soda, dum-dums are famous for having mystery flavor pops. What is the mystery flavor? A, a brand new flavor designed by the current employee of the month. B, a mix of flavors because they don't clean their machines in between flavors. Or C, guava.
7: I'm going with C.
8: Do you want to guess again?
7: <laughs> I want to go with the uh, flavor designed by the employee of the month.
8: Sam, you're killing me.
7: <laughs>
8: <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you one more guess.
7: <laughs> with unclean machines?
8: Yes. Yeah, we'll give yeah. It to them. It's true. Instead of cleaning their machines, they just add in the new flavor and call it mystery flavor until Ew. the previous flavor is all gone. It's gross, but it's efficient like a plunger. Here your next question. In 1997, Dr. Irving M.D. became a Goodwill Ambassador for Dum Dums, sharing the treats with hospital staff. Now tell me, what is unique about Dr. Irving M.D.? A. He won an award for the pediatrician with the most fun waiting room. B. He is the fifth out of the five doctors who don't want you to chew sugarless gum. (laughs) Or C. He is a capuchin monkey. (laughs) 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 I
7: I feel fated to get this all wrong too but I'm going to go with one
8: Okay, we're going to go through the answers again Um, A, he won an award for the pediatrician with the most fun waiting room B, he's the fifth out of five doctors who doesn't want you to chew sugarless gum or C, he's a capuchin monkey
7: Okay, I'm going to say C Yes!
4: (laughs)
8: Sam, that's correct. See, he's a monkey. And I don't think his medical license is legit. (laughs) All right, here's your last question. You've got them both right so far. (laughs) People are going crazy. They're throwing off their shirts. Here's your last question. Dum Dums have been owned by the Spangler family since 1953, but some members of that family have branched out on their own, including one who has started her own company that makes candy out of what? A, stem cells, B, (laughs) compost, C, sugar from six of the seven continents all mixed together.
7: I don't know, B? Yes! Yes. (laughs) Good guess.
8: Well done. B, the company is called Climate Candy and they make candy out of imperfect fruits and vegetables that farmers normally throw away. Bill, how did Sam Waterston do on our quiz? (laughs) (laughs)
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sam is such a good Lincoln We're going to give him all free right <laughs>
4: Sam, congratulations Good
1: job, Sam
2: Thank you When we come back, a dip into the archives for interviews with Jenny Slate and the police's Stuart Copeland That's when we come back with more Wait, wait, don't tell me from NPR. Everybody knows Marishka Hargate from her role on Law and Order SVU, you know, the tough as nails, no nonsense, detective Olivia Benson. So we were delighted to see Marishka Hargate making jokes.
3: I prepared a 15 minute set. Are oh, we good that, to that, yeah. <laughs> I did actually think that I was gonna go into comedy. Well, and then I became a sex w- cop. W-
2: I know. <laughs> That's from our latest bonus episode, where you can hear our extended interview with Mariska Hargitay, recorded live on stage at Carnegie Hall. It includes more of the fun stuff we just couldn't fit into our regular show. Listen now, if you're a Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Plus supporter. And if you're not, you could be. You get bonus episodes like this one, and you get to help keep NPR going. To sign up, go to plus.npr.org or visit our show page in Apple Podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mattress Firm. How do you sleep at night? No matter what might be keeping you up, Mattress Firm can help anyone sleep. Mattress Firm will find you the right mattress from a wide selection of top brands at every budget. Plus, if you see a lower price somewhere else, they will match it up to 120 nights with their low price guarantee. Get matched at Mattress Firm's Memorial Day sale and sleep at night. Restrictions apply. See mattressfirm.com or a store for details. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Planet Oat. While some podcast topics can be complex and pretty heady, Planet Oat oat milk is an uncomplicated no-brainer. It's rich, it's creamy, and an excellent source of calcium with vitamins A and D. Also, Planet Oat's unsweetened varieties have zero grams of sugar. It's great in coffee, cereal, smoothies, you name it. So next time you're at the grocery store, save the overthinking for the podcast and reach for the one that has it all, Planet Oat oat milk or visit PlanetOat.com for more.
1: From NPR at WBEZ Chicago. this is Wait, wait, don't tell me the NPR News quiz. I'm Bill Curtis, and here is your host at the Studebaker Theatre in the Fine Arts Building in downtown Chicago, Illinois. Peter Segel. Thank you, Bill. Thanks
2: everybody. So it is already October, but this year isn't over yet. So that means we still get to celebrate our 25th anniversary in the air. Now, one of the nice things about being around so long is that we get to talk to really interesting people and then watch with some pride as they become even more interesting.
1: For example, actor Jenny Slate recently starred in a hit movie, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. When we spoke to her in 2014, though, Marcel was just a delightful
2: series of homemade videos. In addition to being a shell that can talk, Jenny is also a well-known public radio fan, so I began by asking her if she had grown up being forced to listen to NPR by her parents.
10: Well, I I actually am that kid, but I used to listen to NPR in the car with my mom all the time, and I got really car sick, I get really car sick, and um, I would just hear the start of All Things Considered, like the... Bah, 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 bah. <laughs> <laughs> I would get so scared that I was about to be bored, and the, the car sickness would ratchet up, and I would just throw up in the car. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so you've had this... Now, you grew up... I love this, that you actually grew up in Milton, Massachusetts, and you went to Milton Academy.
10: I did. Which is a I very, did. very
2: famous prep school there in Milton. Did, did growing up as a prep as they used to say? Did that affect your comedy in any way?
10: Oh, no, I don't think so. I think the, the main thing that affected my comedy was that um, my dad uh, slept in a nightgown for most of my childhood, and uh, it was just very funny every single night, and uh, made me realize that laughter is fun, and nightgowns are cool.
2: I <laughs> mean like, like one of those like, Ebenezer Scrooge deals with a down-to-the-floor nightgown?
10: Um, it went down to his ankles, and it was actually a long salmon-colored nightshirt um, that said the word Wang on it. No. <laughs> that is my truth. Well, he worked for a computer company that also was called Wang, and yeah. I guess somebody was like, hey, Ron, here's a nightgown. I, I'm not exactly sure.
2: We have to ask you about Marcel the Shell, because it's interesting, like all the things you've done, including starring in a film, The Obvious Child, it's Marcel the Shell. Tell us about him.
10: Sure. Um, well, he's a, a character that I created with Dean Fleischer Camp. And um, he's a shell. He has a shell body and one eye and two shoes. And um, he's just sort of an individual. I, I, we, we did it uh, for fun and made it uh, for a little art show in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And our friends liked it and asked us to put it online so that they could see it again. And people really, they liked it. And he's just, he has like like a little voice like this, like I don't know if
2: you can hear it, but he talks like this. He does. And, and how did it happen? Were you just sitting around your apartment with your husband and you picked up a little seashell and you started talking like that?
10: Well, no, I, I actually, I was at a wedding um, and at the time it was like me and a bunch of my other friends and we were trying to save some money. So there were, like, seven of us in one motel room in Pomfret, Connecticut, and um, I just felt so squished, and, like, all these boys were, they were all in the bathroom longer than I ever was, and I didn't have any space, and I think something in me kind of snapped, and I was just like...
3: I'm never getting into the bathroom. You know, yeah. I just,
10: <laughs> 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 talking this little voice. Um, or that's that's how I remember it. And then my best friend Gabe said, "Well, yeah, that's also kind of true. But never forget that the night before you drank a million beers, hijacked a karaoke machine, and then jumped up on top of an eighteen wheeler. So you broke your brain, and then you made art. Is what happened." Nice. <laughs>
2: I was going to ask about cuz you've done so many things in comedy. You were stand up for a while. Is yes. it true that you had trouble with stage fright?
10: Yes. Um I got terrible stage fright when I moved from New York to Los Angeles. Also, that's when I developed like a lot of other uh weird fears. Like um fear of coyotes, which is a bummer yeah. that
2: continues. You you're afraid of coyotes?
10: Oh, big time. Big how does the, time.
2: how does the fear of coyotes manifest itself, Jenny?
10: You know, those dogs, I just feel like they're coming for me. I really do. They're Most, always the, laughing. Yeah. yeah. It's like the coyotes are judging you. Yeah, you know, it's just the idea of like in, an organized group about to play a prank on me, and then the prank is that they eat me.
2: What's amazing is you live in, a, you're, you're, you're a comedian in LA. There are so many people who will judge you already. You don't need to bring the animals into it. <laughs>
10: That's really true. I've never thought of it that way. I guess I went right right past the humans. It was like, everyone here is fine. It's these wild dogs that don't like my ass. Exactly.
2: Okay, Jenny Slate, we've invited you here to play a game we're calling Your Jenny from the Block. As hard as you try, as far as you go, you will only be the second most famous Jenny in the world after Jennifer Lopez, the dancer, singer, actor, impresario from the Bronx. So we're going to ask you three questions about... J. Lo, get two right. You'll win our prize for one of our listeners, Carl Castle's voice in their voicemail. Bill, okay. who is Jenny Slate playing for? Diane Robinson of Mainz, Germany. Mainz, Germany. Mm-hmm. I think. Whoa. You ready to play, Jenny? I'm ready. Here we go. Here's your first question. The obsession with Jennifer Lopez's rear end began around 1998, with some crediting a story in the London Times about what it called A, quote, her backside, her butt, her rear, her rump, her posterior, her gorgeously proud buttocks, unquote, B, quote, the caboose that won't vamoose, or C, quote, her rather well-defined gluteal muscles, unquote.
10: (laughs) Um, I will go with B.
2: No, I'm afraid it was A, her backside, her butt, her rear, her rump, her posterior, her gorgeously proud buttocks. All right, you still have two more chances. J-Lo is famous for her romantic relationships, but her first marriage was to whom? A, famed French intellectual Bernard-Henri Lévy, Lavie. a nice guy from the neighborhood who supported her through the tough times before she started to make it, or C, a waiter at Gloria Estefan's restaurant in Miami.
10: (laughs) Oh, this is tough stuff. Okay, let's go with C.
2: You're going to go with C, a waiter, waiter. at Gloria Estefan's restaurant in Miami, and you are right, yes. Yeah. All right, well, you have one more question. We move forward, so she, she divorced the, the waiter, and she moved forward. She got engaged famously to Ben Affleck. They became a uh, right? That's right. what they were called. And uh, they did reportedly draft a prenup that, among its uh, provisions, stated what? A, they were contractually obligated to have sex four times a week, B, for the duration of their marriage, he would go by baaf. <laughs> or C, they could be instantly divorced just by saying the word jealousy three times. Jealousy, jealousy, jealousy. What was the middle one? For the duration of their marriage, he would have to go by, I guess, baaf. You know, You're going to go with A. You are right. Yeah. The London Times reported that their prenup stated. They would have to have sex four times a week.
1: Wow.
2: Yes. Bill, how did Jenny Slate do in our quiz?
1: (laughs) I'll tell you who won, and that was Jenny. Two out of three. Well done, Jenny. Oh,
10: good.
2: Jenny Slate, thank you so much for joining us.
10: Thank you for having me.
2: What fun to have you. Talk to you soon, Jenny. Bye-bye.
10: Okay, bye-bye. Thank you.
2: This message comes from NPR sponsor Grammarly. 96% of users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing. Save time with one click and go from editing drafts in hours to seconds. By understanding your writing in context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions to help your team make their point and move faster. Make a bigger impact at work. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com podcast. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Grammarly. Easier said done
6: this message comes from npr sponsor shopify the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to customize your online store to your style sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash npr this message comes from npr sponsor carmax carmax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you Because CarMax believes you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car they sell has CarMax certified quality. So you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. Don't settle. Find love at first drive. Start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax. The way car buying should be. This message comes from NPR sponsor BritBox. Discover powerful new series like Three Little Birds and BAFTA-winning drama Time, starring Bella Ramsey, Tamara Lawrence, and Jodie Whittaker. Stream the best of British TV only on BritBox. Start a free trial at BritBox.com.
1: Finally, here's an interview with somebody who's been around even longer than we have. Stuart Copeland began his career in the 1980s as the drummer with the police and has gone on to a remarkable
2: career as a composer. Stuart grew up in Beirut, of all places, the son of a diplomat, or at least that was the story.
4: Yes, I was a diplomat. My daddy
2: was a spy. He and was he is, absolutely. He was fighting the Cold War for you and me. And and th- how long how long were you in Beirut? When was this? It was like the the. Uh, 15th I was pretty 16th? much over
4: there until about fifteen. Then yeah. I, then, I, then my father's cover was blown, and uh, he packed his family out of Dodge and sent me to boarding school in England.
3: Stuart, when you were little, did you know your dad was a spy?
4: No, I didn't find out <laughs> till I was in college in California.
3: How did that conversation go? Oh, he wrote a book. I,
4: I literally found out about it on my, the liner notes of my father's book. Really? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been kind of whispering on, on, at school. You know, my brother Miles came home one day and said, Dad, is it true you're a spy? <laughs> and he looks at him hard and he says, son, who wants to know?
2: <laughs> wow. So, how do you go from being this kid in this boarding school in England to one of the three members of basically the biggest rock to band the of the 1980s The of
4: London in nineteen seventy-seven. That was pretty hard scrabble, too. The punk revolution.
2: You were you were you you were in the midst of that that whole sort of punk thing. Yeah, uh, we were a couple
4: years too old for it. Uh, Stingo and I—we were actual professional musicians. We were about twenty-four.
2: Did you just call your collaborator Stingo? Yeah. Was that his original? That's one of the nicer things that I call him. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you know, the, the police became enormously huge. Uh, I, I, you know, you couldn't turn on a radio around 1982 without hearing your songs.
4: Oh, what can I say?
2: What, was it
1: ever uh, tricky? having that be your band name legally, where you'd go to a hotel no, and be right. like, hello,
4: we're the police. And yeah, they'd I be like, here's $5,000. The party's ruined. You know, we arrive at a party. You know, we're in some town. Hey, who's going a party? Come on now. We go down to the party, and we arrive, and we can hear the sound of toilets flushing. <laughs> <laughs>
2: how, just out of curiosity, how did you guys pick that name for yourself?
4: I actually started with the name of Expletive the Police, I found actually, my I've got my diaries from that period, and I've got a list of band names. Really, each one lamer than the other. Was it like the artillery, Teeth Attack, London Teeth? I was into teeth for some reason. Teeth, you know, (laughs) the Jaws of Hell,
3: (laughs) Dentists. How about yeah, the Mounties?
2: The Mounties would have been awesome. Well, well, uh,
4: no, we didn't have any other law enforcement uh, imagery. It was mostly teeth.
2: Teeth. And you went with, ironically, with an on-tooth name. Yeah. Uh, now, now well, you are uh, a professional rock and roll drummer. You were a drummer for one of the great rock bands of all time. You, you ha- Please be truthful with us. Do you hate drum solos too, right? I
4: played two in my career. One was on The Letterman Show. Yeah. The other was on the Serengeti in Africa in a cage surrounded by hungry lions which was a scene for my film, The Rhythmist.
2: Did the Lions do what the rest of us do with drum solos and turn around and go get a beer?
4: No, they did not. <laughs> what did uh, they do? They had been starved for a few days, so as to be photogenically aggressive. Uh, the cage that I was playing in was festooned with steak, and um, the only thing was that these ones here uh, came running right up to the thing, and they're grabbing at the cage, and then I started playing my drums, and then they ran away. <laughs> And so, to get the shot, I had to pretend to hit the drums and not actually hit them because they'd all go running off again. So I went off, but they'd come back pretty quick for the neat. One of them got his paw under the cage and his talon stuck into the machine head on the front of the bass drum and was pulled out of the thing. It started to go weird. That was the other drum solo I played in my career. That's
1: when it started to get weird? <laughs>
2: Oh, Stuart Copeland, what a delight to talk to you, but we have asked you here to play a game we're calling. You have the right to wonder what the heck I'm doing. You are in the band The Police, of course, but what do you know about the real police? We're going to ask you three questions about questionable police tactics, and if you answer two of them right, you'll win our prize for one of our listeners, Carl's voice in the home answering machine. Carl, who is musician Stuart Copeland playing for?
4: Stuart is playing for Peter Jansen of New Haven, Indiana. All right. I'm here for you.
2: All right, here Thanks we go, Stuart. Buddy. All right, Stuart, here we go. In twenty eleven, an undercover sting, ha, huh, run by the New York Police Department went terribly wrong. Why? Was it A before going to the steam room with the suspects the lead undercover officer forgot about his NYPD forever tattoo? Was it B, they set up a fake barber shop to lure crooks, but the policeman slash barber did a terrible job cutting hair? Or C, the cop who met the suspects kept trying to crack up the guys listening back in the van by making fart noises into his hidden body mic.
4: All right, let's do the last one. That, that is on. a great story. Let's do it the last it,
2: one. It'd be funny, but in fact, it was the barbershop is what happened. Uh. They set up a barbershop. And they had a cop cut hair who didn't know how to cut hair. Well, that's pretty good. So Actually, nobody, not bad. So nobody came back to the barbershop, including the other undercover cops. Right, yeah, who all looked, looked like hell. It was a disaster. All right, you still have two more chances. It wasn't half as bad as the plastic surgery clinic. Though. Oh, that would be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Set up. Next question. Another group of NYPD officers arrested two suspicious youths on a drug charge for possession of what? A, some Jolly Rancher candies. B a jar of Guy Fieri's donkey sauce, or C, a rusty ShamWow.
4: Well, I am unfamiliar with all three of those things, which equips me perfectly to make a choice. I'm going to go with number two.
2: I like your logic, but it was, in fact, the Jolly Rancher Candies. The arresting officer thought they were crystal meth. Oh, man. Okay, here is your last question. A Tennessee cop got into trouble last August when he fired his service weapon. For what reason? A, to signal the start of a Pinewood Derby race for eight year olds, <laughs> B, to knock his lost frisbee out of a tree, or C, to keep a wild turkey from pooping on his cruiser.
4: He got fired for any of those things?
2: Well, he was disciplined for doing these things. All right, he was okay, not fired. okay. Okay, number one. You're going to go with the Pinewood Derby that he started, a Pinewood Derby race for eight year olds, a little. little Balsawood wood cars and he fired his gun in the air to start
4: it
2: it was the turkey
4: (laughs) now in his defense
2: (laughs) (laughs) he scores his own conversation i love it in his defense the guy says look i wasn't trying to hit the turkey it was just a warning shot But they said, you can't fire your weapon to scare a bird off your police cruiser. They reprimanded him. Carl, how did Stuart Copeland do on our quiz? Not too well, Peter. He had no correct answers out of three choices. (laughs) Stuart Copeland is one of the founding members of the police, as well as being an acclaimed composer for film and theater. Stuart Copeland, what fun to talk to you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Bye bye now. That's it for our not very spooky October edition. We're off to put the finishing touches on Bill's Barbenheimer costume. But first, let me tell you that... Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me It's a production of NPR and WBEZ Chicago in association with Urgent Haircut Productions, Doug Berman, Benevolent Overlord. Philip Godke writes our limericks. Our public address announcer is Paul Friedman. Our tour manager is Shana Donald. Thanks to the staff and crew at the Studebaker Theater. BJ Liederman composed our theme. Our program is produced by Jennifer Mills, Miles Dornbos, and Lillian King. Special thanks to Monica Hickey. Special thanks as well to Peter Gwynn. Our vibe curator is Emma Choi. Our technical direction is from Lorna White, our CFO is Colin Miller. Our production manager is Robert Newhouse. Our senior producer is Ian Chillog. The executive producer Wait Wait Don't Tell Me is Mr. Michael Danforth. Thanks to Bill Curtis, all of our guests and panelists and of course to Carl Castle whose voice we were lucky enough to hear again. Thanks to all of you here at the Studebaker Theatre. You are so wonderful and thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Peter Sagal and we'll see you next week.
6: This is NPR. Do you ever wish you could get your stories in three hours rather than three minutes? Or maybe you're sick of doom scrolling, getting your news in bits and pieces. That is where Embedded comes in. We bring you documentary series that will change the way you think about things. Find us wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This message comes from NPR sponsor Viking.